Hello and welcome to another episode of a Play Sheet podcast. As always, I'm joined by my good friend Charles. Hello, everybody. And if you're wondering what's happened, Chaz has had laptop IT issues. He's bought a new laptop, forgot to check if it had a USB, so he has no microphone. So he's currently doing this episode via the medium of a phone call. So if you're wondering why the quality of Charles's voice is worse than usual, that's why. To make it any worse whatsoever, I'm also on a farm in deep, dark, rural Wales, so you might additionally hear the odd moo at any point. <laughs> so, without any further ado, we're going to jump into things. As with last week, this is going to be a slightly shorter, festive episode. There's a few things that we want to get off our chest to start with, though. So, straight into it, the Cardinals, Charles, the downward spiral continues, another loss at the weekend. Oh, it's horrendous for them. It's looking worse and worse. This was a team that going, you know, four weeks ago, five weeks ago, they were flying high, top of the tables, and uh, they looked unstoppable. But they've lost DeAndre Hopkins. Kyler Murray has been off. And the defense that was so solid at the start of the season, it just seems to be crumbling around them. So there's a few things there. Now, you mentioned D-Hop is absent. It's, it, it's really interesting that a team that... You know, came advertised with so much depth with all these players they have. You know, Hopkins, Kirk, AJ Green, Edmonds, Connor, all these players. It does seem that if one piece is missing, uh, the whole thing seems to crumble. To add to that as well, you mentioned the defence there as well. Now, the defence at the start of the season, they were bringing blitzes on first down often. I think more than any other team in the league. Other teams have now adjusted. They see that blitz coming. We go back a week ago with Jared Goff. He was just getting the ball out of his hands quickly. And that's all you had to do to beat this first down blitz. Other teams have adjusted to the Cardinals. They haven't counter-adjusted. And a team, you know, the team that was the last team to have a perfect winning record is now unlikely to win their division and will be scratching around in the wild card. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right, Joe. So, I mean... Where do the Cardinals go from here? Because they have to adjust. They need to look at what they're doing currently and say, do you know what? What we were doing throughout the season isn't working anymore. We need to change. Do you see that happening over the next couple of weeks? Well, the problem they have is that it's not easy teams they have left to play to make adjustments to. Now, the Colts last week, the Colts were severely depleted through injuries, through COVID, and yet the Colts still managed to beat them. They now have the Cowboys this week, and as we saw from the Cowboys late on Sunday night, the Cowboys are firing on absolutely all cylinders at the moment. And if the Cowboys play like they played against Washington football team, uh, this is another game that could get messy. So you've got the Rams out in front now, a game in front in the NFC West. The Cardinals will get to the playoffs now, that is likely. But they're going to be in the wild cards, they're going to struggle. You know, something that was so promising to start with is spiraling out of control and this is you know this is exactly the same as what happened last year it's exactly the same as what happened second half of a season uh, you can only really put this down to cliff kingsbury it's all well and good having you know coaching set up at the start of a league but the league is about adjustments and if you can't make adjustments to the adjustments teams have made for you which is what happened last season and it's happening again you're never going to win the big game that's a really good point you made there because you're absolutely right in terms of last season they missed out on the playoff spot because they had a terrible sort of second half of the season and they were flying so high you almost thought they were untouchable and now they find themselves in, in the wildcard fight and they shouldn't be there, not with the team they have and I agree, I think you have to look at coaching for that. 
And it's so concerning, as I mentioned on the offense, that it seems to be if you take out one piece, the whole thing crumbles. This isn't what should happen with a team with as much deficit. Look at the Bucks. Look at the Bucks when they lose Evans, when they lose Godwin, when they lose both. They have players next man up, and they still have strength in other areas, but they still make it work with the third and fourth stringers. The Cardinals aren't down to the third or fourth string. They're barely on the second string with some of the receivers that they have, but they're still struggling. It's concerning and... You know, right now, you look at this team and you've got to put them down as a one or done for playoffs. I agree, Joe. So, uh, talking about a team that might be fighting in that wildcard position, let's talk about a different type of fighting and look at the Washington bench. Yeah, so things got really messy for Washington football team on Sunday evening. For those who didn't see it, the Cowboys demolished them. Dak Prescott threw to, I think he threw touchdown passes, but first time maybe in the Super Bowl era that it's quarterback has thrown to a running back, a wide receiver, a tight end and an offensive lineman for a touchdown. I think he did most of this by the first half. It got messy and the result of that was Washington defensive players fighting on the bench. It was a really bad look. Things were said. It started with some face touching, punches were swung and I believe it was Payne who was on the bench and he just looked jacked for most of the rest of the game. Not a great look at all. This is a Washington football team where I will add as well, there's going to be some more things going on in the offseason. There's allegations and news stories to come out about this team. It seems that they have a bit of respite right now, but I don't think that the leaks about Dan Snyder are quite done yet. Things are going to get messy about the culture of this team. You look at this team and there's so much rebuilding to happen there. Tyler Heineke, for as good as he's flashed, is not a long-term solution. There's gaps all over this team. The defence was supposed to be the vaulted defence at the end of last season, led by Chase Young. has actually been one of the worst defences in the league this season. Not happy times if you're a Washington football team fan. Do you see any bright sparks in this team at all, Charles? It's tough, Joe, because if there's one part of the team that I would not expect to be scrapping, it was that defence, because as you pointed out last season, they were the shining bright spark of this team, and now they're the ones scrapping on the sidelines. You're absolutely right in that they've had an atrocious season, especially when you compare it to that breakout season that they had last year. But I thought this this defense was young, was tight-knit, was together, and were hungry to do damage. And this season, it feels like it's all falling apart, and I don't understand where that's come from. Romero Rivera, he's, he's kind of finished his battle with cancer last year. He's there, he's full-time. I thought he would be the man to bring this team together and to go out there and smash it and I'm just flabbergasted as to how they've ended up like this. The defence was supposed to be the thing that carried this team. They've given up the fifth most yards in the entire league, 5,601 yards to date. Only four teams have given up more yards, the Vikings who are supposed to have a good D as well, uh, Houston Texans, Seattle Seahawks and New York Jets. For context, they've given up more yards than the Lions have, than the Steelers have, than the Ravens who basically have no players left playing defensive back. This is messy on the offensive side of a ball and arguments happen. Every team will tell you this. Every team will tell you that there's scraps on the practice field, there's scraps here and there. It's a nature when you have alpha males, competitive guys duking it out. But what we saw on the bench was something that really shouldn't happen, especially prime time, especially against the Cowboys. Just a really bad look there. Yeah, and it also feels to me, though, Joe, that when you get to the fighting stage, it's when you don't have anything else to focus on. You know, if you come off the pitch and you've got coaches there saying, right, boys, 
you tighten this up and we're away. Or if you do this and you do that, then we can get back in this game. It's when there seems to be no direction that people start looking inward and picking on themselves and picking each other apart. And I just wonder if that is playing into that at all. Yeah, I, I think that's a really, really good point there. That if they were really addressing it and trying to fix it, it wouldn't be bickering. It would be, we need to tighten up here, we need to tighten up there, and people will be taking responsibility. Fighting happens because that's not happening. So yeah, really strong point there. And talking about getting smacked, Ian Book, Monday Night Football, really rough start to the NFL for him. Well, Joe, I feel like with my telephone voice, I'm in no better position than to talk about the New Orleans Saints. <laughs> um, but yes, they had a horrid time. They were absolutely uh, destroyed by the Miami D, who we've seen throughout the season have had absolutely flashes of brilliance. They've been a great day. And, and to be honest, they're kind of trending in the right direction. They were a little bit hit and miss to begin the season, but I, I think they've come through strong. And really with the issues that um, Tua had throughout the season and the offence have been having, that D is what has been keeping Miami alive. And they've done it yet again against the Saints. Yeah, so there's a good little parallel here, I think, towards what we were just talking about with the Washington football team. The Miami defence were definitely the strongest part of their team last season. They kept them in a lot of games. They were the reason they won a lot of games. But the defence had a really bad start to the season. They adjusted halfway through there. And where the Washington football team have basically been bad for most of the year, Miami seemed to switch around game eight. Now, there's never been an NFL season ever where a team has had a, a losing streak of seven games and a winning streak of seven games in the same season. That happened last night. There's also never been a team that has lost seven of its first eight games and made the playoffs. Don't speak now, but the Dolphins are right in the playoff hunt still. So, incredible turnaround of this team. Uh, and the defence has been a big point of it once they've kind of got things right. Now, just going back to the Saints, and I want to talk about Ian Book here, because it was a horrible start to his NFL career. Picked off in his first drive for a pick six. Sacked eight times. And now the sacks, the majority of it was on the O-line. And I probably put down three quarters of those sacks on the O-line. There were a couple where he basically just should have thrown the ball away, ran towards the sideline, could have got out of the sideline, but held on, got sacked past the hash marks. That's on him, really. But, you know, the Saints O-line was severely depleted, starting tackle, uh, Ryan Ramchick was off, starting right guard was gone as well. I think the left guard was gone. You know, COVID problems across that line. But when we have rookie quarterbacks coming into the game and doing badly, it's always easy to just look at that from a face value and say, hey, they're not ready for the league or they're not right for the league and they're not going to make it. We talk about this often, about how much work goes into being a quarterback and how much the quarterback has to do. And I think that a great kind of contrast to this is the breakdown that Jalen Hurts gave in regards to why he missed a pass in the game against the Giants last weekend. Now, we're just going to play this clip. We don't normally play clips, but we're going to play a clip here. And this is a clip of Jalen Hurts talking about that missed pass. Run tape, Chaz. We're expecting seven bracket. So basically 29 safety McKinney from Alabama. He's bracketing Rager. And they're playing kind of in and out, right? But they're in quarters, cover seven. So got to find a single, maybe. But in their play, what I was coached to do, just go through it as a pure progression. Work the shallow to the running back coming. Only throw that versus a certain look. Um, and my shallow popped. Um, and McKinney fell off and, and drove on the shallow after I threw the ball. So McKinney made a really good play. And they busted the coverage backside, so he was wide open over there. 
So my pre-snap look did not give me um, what I wanted to throw the corner to Dallas, but definitely looking after the fact. Um, it's easy to say throw him the ball, but um, hey, you're going to miss something like that, you know. And, and as a quarterback, you want to play on schedule and get the ball out on time and try your best to do that. Um, and just trust your preparation and your reads and your progressions. Um, and you're going to have guys that pop, but um, you got to try and stay on schedule and do those things. And, um, you know, th- those happen. Now, that's just what's happened from one missed pass. He's broken down all the reads that he had to do, how he had to read the defense, how he had to read the progressions through his passing routes. Everything that happened there was one play, one pass. And a quarterback has to do that over and over and over again through the game. Now, Ian Book, this was his first time doing it. And he got destroyed in prime time. But I think it's always good to just have a little bit of context just to see that, you know, there's so much that's going on. There's so much you gain from experience and there's so much you have to do. And when you look at what a quarterback has to do there, this is why quarterbacks always win the MVP. This is why quarterbacks always win Offensive Rookie of the Year. Because they're having to do this in every play. Well, you know, if we're talking about quarterbacks, I don't want to go in on to it, but I think you and I have both said that he's not really the guy we think to take Miami forward, but it is this defense that's keeping them in there. And I think if they do make it into that wild card spot, it will be the defense that they'll need to rely on to shut out these teams, to get these sacks, to get these turnovers, to keep them alive. Uh, yes, but I would say watching a game last night, Waddle was outstanding. He was involved in all facets of a game. He was doing jet sweeps. He was involved in the Wildcat, outside, in the slot. Jalen Waddle is a weapon. And for a few years now, we've said that they don't really have a player's on offense. Mike Gesicki is one of the best young tight ends in the league. Jalen Waddle, I think, will mature into one of the best wide receivers. A different type of wide receiver. Perhaps not your Devante Adams, Justin Jefferson type wide receiver. But a pocket knife wide receiver who can do everything on the ball. I think they're one or two players short on offense now. And at that point, then it really will be down to Tua to say, look, all the tools are in place now, so it's on you. But they're still developing that fence. There's still a few more pieces to come in. So maybe let's not put too much judgment on it just yet. So shifting the focus then from players on the pitch, we're coming into that part of the season now, Joe, where we could see a fair few head coach moves. Yeah, so we're going to keep this next bit short. So normally we preview games ahead and there's plenty of exciting playoff caliber games that have been happening and that's been happening for the last few weeks. But to be honest, we're tired of talking about games where playoff contenders are duking it out. We're going to talk about the other end of the league. Now, the league rules changed in the off-season and now teams can speak to other offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, whoever, to bring in as head coach candidates in the final two weeks of the season. We're in the final two weeks of the season now, so basically it's firing season. Now there's a few games which are happening this weekend where, you know, potentially we could see head coaches fired after the game. So we're going to do just a real quick fire thing here, Charles, where we talk about head coaches in danger. If the games this weekend is going to have an impact on that, and whether we see them still in their seat next week. So I'll start us off, Giants versus the Bears. Now, you could make an argument for the head coaches on both sides being in danger, but there has been a release in the last week that Joe Judge will be kept on to next season. That leaves Matt Nagy. Does he get sacked after this game, Charles? That's a tricky one because we've talked about this whole thing before where, you know, the Bears have never sacked a head coach in regular season in franchise history. But as you pointed out, the rules have changed around this and quite frankly I think the Bears expect more from their head coaches and I think if they lose to the Giants this week I think maybe yes 
I think maybe yes as well, because I think basically this whole thing of the Bears have never sacked a coach during the season, it's just a stupid thing to do. You're going to get rid of him. He's going. Why give every other team in the league who's going to fire their coach a two-week head start on interviewing candidates? Get to the buffet table first. So if the Giants beat the Bears this weekend, I think it gives a perfect excuse to fire him then and there. But equally, if I was the GM... I'd want to be getting ahead of the curve here and I'd want to be getting out interviewing people while the good candidates are still out there. So, you know, I don't think they will sack him. I don't think they will, but I think they should. But let's see. Let's see what happens. Next one, Houston versus San Francisco. David Culley. A lot of talk about him being a one-and-done head coach at the start of the season. Houston have had a little surge recently, winning a couple of games. I think they've won four games this season now, which is probably more than we had them down for at the start of the year. David Culley, uh, is there any situation that he gets sacked this weekend, Charles? I think recent Texan form has saved his job at least until the end of the season, in my opinion. I think we've seen the Texans beat some half-decent teams and actually put up a fight. And I think for a team that was expected to be potentially bottom of the league, they've showed the fight that you're looking for a head coach to instill in a team like this. They get a few picks next season. I mean... We've already discussed that their pick situation isn't amazing, but if they can get some more players into their team, I think he's shown that he can be a half-decent head coach. I, I don't think he gets fired with a loss here. And I think it's been great how they've brought Davis Mills on. Bearing in mind that you know Mills was a third-round selection, you could make a case that he's played better than some of the first-round selections in this year's oh, draft. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So you know things would probably have been a lot more ugly had Davis Mills not played to the standard that he has, and that's a standard that's probably surpassed most people's expectations for him. And then finally, a bit of a uh, left-field one, but Vikings versus Green Bay. Could a loss here send Mike Zimmer packing? Uh, if it does, I've, I really struggle with this because I've, I feel that the Vikings have... Well, I've said this before. I think they've been unfortunate in certain situations. I think they have kept themselves in the wildcard hunt. I don't think that coaching has been the biggest failure of the Vikings this season. If anything, you could argue it's been their picks. I mean, obviously, they picked up Jefferson, which was an amazing pick for them, but maybe some of their defensive picks or or maybe some of the non-skilled player picks that haven't panned out exactly as they thought they would. I'm not sure that that's 100% a coaching issue. I think Zimmer still deserves to see the season out so uh, in my opinion I don't think he'd be fired for a loss here especially because they're, they're taking on the top seed of the NFC I'm going to give a counterpoint there now there's a very vocal portion of the Vikings fan base who are Zimmer out Zimmer out and I, I, I get a little bit annoyed by that whole kind of knee jerkness but when I was talking about the Washington football team giving up the fifth most yards this season the Vikings have given up the fourth most yards this season. And bear in mind that Zimmer is supposed to be a defensive specialist. Defense is supposed to be his thing. And the defense really has just not been up to mustard. And that's with, you know, great players in the team, like pro bowlers, Harrison Smith. You've got Eric Kendricks in there, Anthony Barr. There's quality in that team. And on defense, it's just been a shambles. There has also been coaching issues. Uh, stuff like 
the amount of points they've given away in the final two minutes of halves. If you take away the record the Vikings have in the final two minutes of halves, they would probably have won every single game this season. I think there's a stat which is out there, but basically they've given up more points than anyone else in the last two minutes of games. And you take that away and they'd have won everything. And that's coaching, that's coaching, that's mindset, that's two-minute drills, that's heads up. Uh, there's a lot of things you can put on the coach's shoulders right now. And, you know, just bigger picture, this stuff I spoke about previously, about the nespotism in this team, about them, I think, having only won two playoff games in the whole tenure of Mike Zimmer. I mean, they're both against the Saints. There's reason to fire Mike Zimmer. And, again, if they're going to do it, why not do it this weekend after you lose to Arch Rivals Green Bay? It probably makes sense. So... Again, you know, odds are it won't happen. Just don't be surprised if it does happen. I hear you on the nepotism point 100%. But talking about that two-minute drill issue, which you've correctly identified totally a coaching issue, but does that not feel like that can be fixed maybe in the, the off-season? It should have been fixed by now, though. It, it, it should have been fixed. It's still happening now. And, you know, we're 16 weeks into the season. This has been a problem since week one. And Are you throwing the baby out with the bathwater by getting rid of Zimmer for that? Like, could you potentially lose more by getting rid of Zimmer for, for that? What are you getting rid of, though? The Vikings won't make playoffs this year. It'll be the second year straight. They haven't made playoffs. The year before that, they made playoffs and were a one-and-done team. Sorry, no, a two-and-done. They beat the Saints and then, and then got knocked out. But they were never going to really progress. This is a Vikings team that hasn't really been a proper contender since we had Case Keenum and the Minneapolis Miracle. But even then, they got trashed by the Eagles in the championship game. So look, are you throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Well, what are you throwing out? You're throwing out a defensive specialist head coach who's got one of the worst defences in the league. This is a team stacked with talent and they're just not making it work. Look at the offensive side of the ball. Kirk Cousins is statistically one of the best quarterbacks this season. I know that everyone likes to dick on Cousins and likes to criticise his play, but his touchdown-to-interception ratio, I think, is second only to Rodgers, I think. His passer rating is fourth in the league. You can't blame Cousins. You've got Adam Phelan, you've got Justin Jefferson, one of the best wide receiver tandems in the league. The offensive line is now at a point where it's probably passable. It's been atrocious in previous seasons, but it's passable. You've got those defensive players who are listed out, this feels like it's a team that should be doing better and is underachieving. And it's been underachieving for probably several years now. Like I said, I'm not one of these Zimmer out nuts. But I think the question really needs to be looked at. And it's, what are you going to get? What is going to improve and how far can Zimmer take this team? Do you not give Zimmer that credit for getting that offense to that position? I don't think so. Because it's the talent and the offense as well. For several seasons, for the first you know, half, two-thirds of Zimmer's reign, the offense let this team down. It was a defense-heavy team. And, you know, the offense would just pick up points and just do what it had to do. And it was just lucky that it always had a wide receiver tandem, be that Phelan and Diggs or Phelan and Jefferson, who kind of came good when they need to. But um, I don't really feel that Zimmer has actively built a good offense here. They basically struck lucky in the draft with a couple of players amongst a lot of bad draft picks as well. So another short festive episode this week. Uh, we'll be back with a longer one a week after to talk about playoffs as they come to their climax. Chaz will hopefully have his microphone sorted out next so he won't sound like awesome But until then, look forward to speaking to you next week, Chaz. Speak to you then, Joe. It's <laughs> been great.